listening to Shoot It Now, your weekly podcast about indie filmmaking and big-budget films with award-winning filmmaker Craig Newland. And welcome to another Shoot It Now podcast. My guest today is Hao Hao Yan, a Chinese filmmaker who is based in Los Angeles. Hao Hao studied at the AFI Conservatory. Hao Hao has made an award-winning short film which is currently doing the rounds at different film festivals. The film's story is set up in 2003 in Beijing, China. The SARS outbreak takes hold, the city is closed, most students have been sent home. However, inside a private boarding school, three eight-year-old girls have to find their way to make sense of the world. Hao Hao, welcome to Shoot It Now. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> well, let's start at the AFI Conservatory, which offers a two-year Master of Fine Arts program, providing training in six different disciplines, which range from cinematography, directing, editing, producing, production design, and screenwriting. Now, you're from Beijing, so tell us how that all fitted together in terms of deciding to apply to an American film school and come from China. Uh, I actually studied uh, film for my undergrad in L.A. Uh, I went to UCLA, and that's when I moved to America when I was 18. So at UCLA, I studied uh, just general filmmaking, and my concentration was producing. So um, at the end of the senior year, I produced uh, three thesis films there. Well, that was the moment that I realized that maybe producing wasn't my dream and uh, I really wanted to be a director. So after working for a year in LA, just freelancing and picking up every job that I, I can, uh, I applied to AFI uh, for directing. And I was very lucky. I feel like I got in the first time I tried. That leads to uh, where I am right now. The whole process of the AFI Conservatory, it's not easy to get in, right? No, oh no, it's super competitive, especially, you know, when you're applying for it and before you get in, you feel like, oh, this might take me years, you know, the first try might not work and I might apply next year, I don't know, financially and all circumstances considered um, how long it's going to take or if, you know, I'm going to chase, like, keep chasing it or not. And what would you say to any Chinese person or any other non-speaking national thinking about venturing to another country to study filmmaking based on your experience? Well, my experience was very positive because first off, I loved watching movies and a lot of movies that I like to watch were foreign movies. Uh, so I heard about AFI when I was an undergrad and all my friends like highly recommended it. So I think for a non-native speaker applying to film school, of course, it's going to be like there's a huge, huge challenge that you're not using your first language to to learn and also to communicate with your team and also maybe uh, on set as well. And also you have to make film that's foreign to your own culture, especially in schools. But I would say that art is very, I think this world is very uh, transparent and everything connects. It doesn't matter which language you speak. And sometimes it will provide you, I think, a, a little bit different perspective that it's a little foreign and different than the culture that you're used to. And for me, that's, that's, that's very good because I get to work with people from all over the world at AFI and, and through them I learn about their culture and also their filmmaking. Everybody is a little different. So um, I think overall the experience is very challenging, but definitely worth the time and suffer. 
And how many different nationalities were there at AFI when you were doing your course? Uh, how many? I have no idea. I only know that 60% of the students are uh, not from the U.S. And give us a sense of cost. Uh, there'll be people that are listening thinking, uh, okay, is AFI something that I should consider? For the two-year master's, how much did that mm -hmm. cost in round figures? Okay, so uh, I can break it down a little bit so you can have a little better picture. It's definitely not good for the cost, but every film school is expensive. The first year, I remember it was around 50000 something, and then the second year was a little bit more. Uh, whereas the first year, the school does pay for all the uh, your cycle films. The first year, uh, we make three cycle films as like practice short films. And the school has a budget of a couple thousand dollars and you work under that budget. It's tight, but it's good that you're not putting into your own you know, pocket money uh, into your schoolwork. The second year, of course, you have to do fundraising for your one, you know, one best film that you're going to make as your thesis. And the school does sponsor it uh, a little bit to begin with so that you're not going out there uh, with, you know, no money, basically. Yeah, if you ask me, it's two years. It's probably the shortest program you can find. So I don't know. <laughs> So the, the cost itself on the course would be somewhere between a hundred to a hundred and twenty thousand plus your living expenses? Yeah, living expenses is on your own and you know, you're in LA, you're in Hollywood, so that's something to consider as well. Uh, the tuition itself, I think, because I am in LA, I, I am aware of uh, USC's LA, all these film schools, it's pretty it's on the average side, I think. So tell us about your film, The Speech, and the backstory of the film, because it's very personal to you. Okay. So The Speech is about three uh, moments of realizations for three girls during the SARS epidemic in Beijing, China. It is a very personal story to me because it's part of my life that I can't erase and I just keep going back to. And most of the stuff you see in the movie uh, actually happened either to me or to my friends. Before, I have to say, before this pandemic, it was like a total memory for me that I want to treasure and I want to document. So that, you know, kids in the future who has never heard of a pandemic like this, can't imagine such a thing, could see what happened back in 2003. But now everyone is living through like a similar, <laughs> similar pandemic. So uh, it's hard to say how well the audience see the movie now. But to me, it's always a very important moment and something I want to treasure uh, in my heart. And you were eight years old. Is that right at the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct. I was eight years old. I was locked inside my school for three months. And how did that change you, do you think, as an eight-year-old after you lived and went through that? Uh, I think it very much opened my eyes. Before that, uh, I've never come to the realization or ever had the doubts that the adults might not know everything. Because, you know, when you're a kid, the adults are the authorities and they don't all the questions. They are very sure of their lives. It just seems like that. But uh, when SARS happened, you immediately see that the adult world is breaking down and there's this crack that you can that that lets you to look into the real reality, even though you're only eight. So that was a very crucial moment, I think, for me. And I think also in the story, in the movie for these girls, because the, out, the world is breaking down, this adult world is breaking down, that they are able to see uh, see through, you know, small cracks to see some truths or, you know, realize some things that 
they weren't supposed to understand in their age. Now, the speech, your short, has been accepted into how many festivals now? We're in Rhode Island right now. We're uh, reaching the, the final days of Rhode Island, and we played uh, with CAA in the beginning for their showcase. That was that was at the beginning of this year, and then we were in Palm Springs, and it was a very fantastic experience with all the amazing filmmakers and the forums they had. Until now, we are probably in like five or six film festivals. I lost count. A lot of them are online right now. Um, oh, actually, we're going to do this um, Salute Your Short Film Festival at the end of this month. It's their opening night, and uh, in Simi Valley, they have a drive-in theater, and uh, yeah, we're, our film is going to show there. That's going to be the first time on a really big screen. Um, I'm very excited for that. Of course, this year, no, no festivals are uh, in person right now, at least in the U.S. that I'm aware of. So everything is virtual. They do have a schedule of uh, of the events because uh, they do have forums and uh, you know Q and A's and all that kind of stuff. And you decide as a filmmaker if you get in, you decide if you want to put your film online throughout the festival or only on one day or not screen at all. Because the traditional way is that people go into the theater to watch your film, and then you don't want to have your film play online until the very end of your festival run. But because this year is a little, you know, it's very special. There's of course no in-person theater experience anymore. So getting your film out there. In my perspective, the best way is just to put it online. And um, these festivals are very friendly. They they put your film online for a certain period of time, basically for the time of the festival, and then it's going to disappear in it, on the internet. So for me, I think it might, I don't know, it might reach more people because because it's more accessible right now. Uh, but on the other side, we do lose the real uh, in-person experience of, you know, going there and then talking, you know, drinking with friends and meeting new people. And that's just what um, everybody have to give up this year. I guess it seems pretty weird that your film is based on the SARS outbreak. And here we are in 2020, your film is playing at different film festivals virtually because of the COVID-19 outbreak. How much have you thought about the irony around that? Well, it was a complete coincidence. The film was finished. Uh, we started shooting last May and then we finished November. So that was way before the outbreak even happened in Asia. I couldn't tell you it's very surreal. I've never experienced, I've never expected or imagined that uh, I'll live through the same experience again, similar experience. And I'm still adjusting to it. Uh, people come to me, ask me, uh, how do I feel? I, I, it's different. And the film is already made. So of course, I want to put it out there. So I'm still trying to figure out the situation right now. Obviously, the situation is different uh, from the SARS in China to COVID-19, which is obviously such a, a juggernaut, such a colossal problem with the pandemic. How anxious were you when this first started evolving? Oh, yeah, I was super nervous because I, I, I was in L.A. And when the outbreak first started, it was in Wuhan in China. And it took months for it to reach uh, globally to uh, finally to America. So in the beginning, people are, you know, calling it the, the China virus and we see it on the news, on Western news every day. And I see on my phone uh, on the Chinese media every day. So it made me really worried because I think deep down I have this memory. So I know how, how difficult it could be. And there are horror stories online about, you know, people's homes uh, are destroyed, you know, like families 
uh, have to be apart, all, all that kind of stuff. So it's very sad and um, and terrible, just just very terrible. The speech, it's a short, but it's over 20 minutes long, quite an ambitious length for a short. How hard was it for you, given that the length is over 20 minutes? It was quite hard because uh, everybody making short films will tell you make it under 15. That's like the sweet pot, sweet spot. Um, for this film, it was a little special because we have three stories inside one short. 25 doesn't seem like, too ridiculous to me, uh, but it is a compromise uh, we had to make that we want to tell this multi-character story. So we have to sacrifice on that. It's not going to be a short short. It's going to be more towards you know the medium length short. And I really enjoyed the way that you shot uh, this these interesting wide shots. And many of them played out for some time, giving them time to breathe and to live in the shot. Tell us how you planned the way you decided to shoot that way. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you uh, liked it. First, um, It was very important for us. It's part of the visual language that uh, we started with the characters always pretty, uh, these white shots. The reason for that is that uh, the film, although it's focusing on these girls' personal journey, the environment that th that the story takes place is very important and it affects everybody. So the atmosphere of the world for me was the priority. So for me, um, I think the white shots helps you to realize what kind of world they are in. So you are not, you know, we're not ultra focused on in their head about what they're thinking right now. We're more like absorbing this this new world, because for them, this world is also bizarre and in a way they can't really understand. So I want the audience to see all aspects of like, the reality of that world and what's happening around these kids. And it's also just part of my memory that uh, everybody have a lot of struggles have to deal with during that time. And the interesting angles is set up at the beginning with the traveling car shot with the box in the back seat. A really simple shot, but executed really well, which straight away I thought this is going to be interesting to follow the way that you shoot the film. How much planning do you think of when selecting how to start the film? Because the start of any film is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Because uh, for us, that's like the most important and difficult image to decide because first off we need to bring people to this foreign world you know because I, I we're making it in america we have to bring audience here to china so basically that first shot has to tell you this is not los angeles this is china secondly another information that was very important it was that it doesn't take place right now it takes place like 17 years ago in 2003 so all of that has to condensed into the opening shot because we don't want audience to ask questions you know when you're already two minutes into the movie so it has to work uh, very um, strategically and functionally i think and we chose the car scene because it's still in a small a small world and it's moving so we can see what's outside outside you can see the the red banner has chinese characters on it you know even if you're not chinese you you kind of get a sense that that uh, this is like an asian country and then you see them wearing masks where driving the car and uh yeah if you have if you have the experience or if you have heard of it people could probably guess what kind of world and situation these people are in so it was a way to bring the audience into the world and hopefully it's uh, quick enough that people don't ask too many questions and get confused. 
And you decided to film it on 16mm. Tell us why you decided to do that and some of the challenges that you had bringing that to reality. Mm -hmm. I I knew that from the beginning that I want to shoot this project on 16mm uh, because first I love working with film and also I kind of, the visual style I want to approach is that it might look like a film that was shot back in 2003. It's just we're you know, picking up this film right now to watch it. So that texture of the early 2000 films, uh, especially Asian cinemas, when it was not, it hasn't completely transferred to digital yet. Uh, I just, I was very fond of that style and I want to bring it back kind of with this uh, nostalgic movie. And also working with film is fantastic because when you shoot 16, you have this tiny, tiny camera. And when you're working with kids, you know, they're not, it doesn't draw too much attention. Like everything is great. And everybody is more focused because they know we're burning a lot of money <laughs> every minute. So uh, overall, just a great experience to have. And how many people said to you, how, how, don't shoot it on film. There's too much work to do if you're doing it that way everybody because we were working with kids and kids and film don't really coexist so that was a hard argument to make uh, for us to say we want to do this but luckily it is a personal project and uh, as long as everybody on my team agrees nobody can stop us so I think I was very lucky to have like all my all my teammates are very very supportive and they all understand that this is not, you know, trying to make it artsy. It's like the story actually asked for it. So it was worth uh, fighting for it. Now, we've got a generation, of course, of filmmakers that have never used film. Perhaps speak to them in terms of what sort of cost this was to you. 16 millimetres over 20 minutes. You're shooting it on 16 mil. You've got to develop it. What mm -hmm. was the component of the cost for that? So uh, it comes down to the actual film stock that you have to buy. And then, the, of course, the processing and developing. And if you want to be very uh, thorough, then, you know, the hard drives you have to buy for those footage because film footage is huge. So at least you need like three, four uh, hard drives, like the, the one terabyte, two terabyte, the big ones. And then you need a very good uh, computer. Like for example, we have the school's computer uh, where we can edit because you need a machine that can handle this heavy footage. In terms of the in terms of cost, it actually depends on if you're a student or if you already graduated or you know what kind of resources you have. Because uh, Kodak is very friendly; they have a student rate, and it is all negotiable. So it, in LA, you know, it really depends on your connection and your negotiation and how passionate you are about your project. It could, it could vary a lot. So give us a range of what that variation is, just so that students mm -hmm. listening now can get a sense of what sort of cost. Okay, for uh, 20 minutes. Oh, I forgot to mention, also depends on the ratio you're shooting. So we aimed for like 10 to 1. That, minute, that means every 10 minutes we shot in the footage, we're going to use one minute of that. So it also depends on the working style, uh, if you're a director who likes to shoot a lot or you're someone who's okay with, you know, two or three takes at most, then that then you're great for uh, shooting on film. All in all, I think it, it could, because we are students, the deal we had, uh, it came down to, I think, a little bit under 10000 
So that gives us a kind of an idea. With 16 millimeter, uh, you can at different times see artifacts showing up, like in the dance scene with the teacher. She's talking to the kids. Uh, there's something straight away that you notice. I noted that you kept it in rather than cut it out, which I thought was the right choice. Tell me some of the decisions around that, seeing some of those artifacts. It might be a hair on the gate, whatever it is, but keeping it in because because you, you don't break from the story. Mm -hmm. So when you are developing film, there is an option you can choose with the labs uh, that you develop the film with that uh, you can do a round of cleanup. But of course, you know, our students or <laughs> uh, independent filmmakers, that's like financially, that's just not an option for us. And, you know, some people want to have finer grain and that's all doable in post. But for us, I we really like the the graininess. That's why part of why we chose sixteen is is the grain, is the you know the feeling of uh, that nostalgic feeling. So we left basically everything in because um, we felt like as rough as this film could be, it will feel more real to the audience. That was kind of the strategy. Also, you know, looking at the budget, they're like, yeah, this is the way to go. And what does AFI teach you with regard to shooting on film? As a director, we don't really have like trainings for, you know, separate trainings for shooting on film and shooting on digital because right now, like basically everybody is digital. And I think as a director, the working method pretty much is the same. Everybody have their, their thing that they like to do and, you know, you find out your way and that's your way. Uh, more importantly is the cinematographer who has to be very familiar with the, with the camera and, you know, with all the process to make sure that the image is going to finally come out. So uh, that part, the cinematography department does have a very good uh, class. Actually, they more they were more focused on the 35 millimeters and they were shooting with huge cameras and uh, they do their visual essays with them. So I trust my DP, who's uh, part of that program, you know, to be able to handle all of this, of course. <laughs> And casting for Chinese kids in Los Angeles, that's the point. You're not in China, you are in LA. How hard was it to work with the kids and get all of that casting done? Uh, I would say working with them worked hard. It was the casting that was the most difficult because AFI also have this 30 mile zone rule that we can't go outside of the 30 miles uh, from the center of LA to shoot. So everything has to happen here. We have to follow uh, because AFI have, have worked with SAG, the acting guild. So we have to follow all of that rules, like basically union rules for everybody. So every kids you see, they all have working permits. They all get their paperwork and stuff. That was the hardest part because also we're casting a lot of kids. It took us, I, but we knew that it was going to be difficult from the beginning. So uh, we started early. We took almost half a year to do casting and location scouting because those are the key factors you need the people to look right and you need the location to look right of course so a lot of it was just me and my producer you know going to uh the chinatowns here to find kids you know we know some kids and then through them we know more we go to their afternoon schools sunday schools dance classes and slowly as we are more involved and get close to this community here uh we had a lot of supports and that was very very lucky and the kids themselves they look very natural in what they're doing and it does have a slightly documentary feel about it was that intentional 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was completely, that was very intentional. Uh, a lot of the kids, I think besides the, the Jenjen, the last girl who gives the speech, everybody uh, were not, was not an actor and it was their first time being on a big screen. So that experience was very good for me because uh, I learned a lot from just practicing and rehearsing and getting to know them. And according to their own personalities, I kind of go back and rewrite the characters. It feels more natural and with non-actors and a small camera, it's very easy to hide and they just kind of seize it like a game that we play over and over again. So So tell me about the workshopping with the kids prior to filming. Just how much involved Mm -hmm. did you get into teaching them the acting or did you kind of just let them be kids? Uh, you have to do a little practice so that to make sure, I think to make sure that they don't panic on set. Because when I was rehearsing with them, it's just me and, you know, 20, 30 kids. And of course, we're going to be happy playing games and, you know, I'll, I'll get to know each other, get them to trust me. But when we're on set, it's, you know, 50 people around you and with big lights and cameras and people moving around. And that's, that's gonna, I was, that was my biggest fear. I was afraid that that will scare the kids and they won't be themselves on set. So we did a couple runs of rehearsals. The first time we just play games, like getting them to use their body more and kind of like the basic improv class you can take like basically anywhere. I give them that first class so that they are more uh, confident with using their body and just being able to walk and run um, in front of me, basically. And then the second one, we hand, we give them the script and we sit down and read them. And, you know, we do a little scene and slowly, you know, we practice it. So slowly they build their confidence, I think, around me and also what they are doing. And uh, we give them a lot of break time so that they can just be themselves and play with each other. Kids like make friends like in two seconds. So that was great. Um, that also helps them to feel comfortable. I think most of the rehearsals are really just to make sure they are comfortable uh, with me and my team and eventually with all the equipment we're going to have on set. Other than that, I, I mean, I'm not the kind of director who gives tons of uh, directions to the actors, especially with kids. You kind of have to go with them to see what they are doing and adjust your plan. That's my more of my method. So now that you've done a film with kids, would you do it again? <laughs> Good question. Uh, it's been almost a year, so I think I'm pretty recovered. Yeah, but right, be- right, right after we finished the film, everybody in my team, especially the girls, are like, "I'm not having kids in five years." <laughs> and locations for the film, uh, like the kids, it's not China. So uh, tell us a little bit about f- creating the world of the school in Beijing in Los Angeles. How, how challenging was that? It was quite challenging. Uh, we also knew that it's going to be challenging. So we started early and we started location scouting. Basically, every school we can find on Google Map, you know, on the weekends or uh, when we're not working, when we're not having classes, we just take our car and drive around LA to see. The film is... I think it's a mix of seven different locations. So sometimes, you know, when you walk around a corner, the hallway is one location, the classroom is another. And it's a mix of schools and um, shooting locations and abandoned hospitals, all sorts, all kinds of stuff uh, that piece together 
to become this one film. And I, but I do have the help from a very good production designer, Kiki, my friend, to make sure, you know, the color tone and everything works so that when people see these places, they don't feel like, oh, I'm not in that place anymore. Angles and clever use of the space comes into the careful execution of achieving that. So you did that really well. How many days were you shooting? Thank you. Uh, we shot for six days. That was the principal shoot. And we did a uh, pretty, pretty rough, rough cut. And then uh, I realized that there's one scene that I wanted to add to the movie. So we went out to shoot another two days of reshoots, but the two days were half days. So basically uh, one other day of reshoots. So together it's seven days. And working on film, uh, you're not able to see the dailies straight away. So I presume that that might take two or three days before you start to see what you've shot. Explain how challenging that was for you with directing this short. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was like on set. That was the most scary part because uh, you're not going to see dailies and you don't know how much you got or if you got anything. Uh, the, way, the way we work with this uh, film schedule was that we shot for three days and then we break for four days and then we shot for another three days. One reason was because of the kids' schedule because everybody has to go to school. The most comfortable days are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when they're not, they don't have to do too much school. So we shot uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we had a break from Monday to Thursday, which allowed us to uh, wait until the dailies to come back and to watch them before we go into the second half of the shoot, basically. But yeah, we weren't able to see dailies for the first three days. And after we got the dailies back, we kind of adjusted technically what we, we could do better for the second half of the shoot. And I think that was very helpful because seeing dailies ensures you when you are shooting on film that what you're doing is right and also gives you an opportunity to uh, do a little better if you have like parts that you haven't finished. And you have a lot of Chinese collaborators working with you on the film. Have, in the future, you got any desire to film in China in the future? Oh, yeah. If we had the, if we had the opportunity to bring this project back to China, I would, but it wasn't an option. Uh, I would love if there's an opportunity to go back to China and shoot Chinese stories. I'd also love to stay in LA and shoot LA stories. It just depends on the project. So where to from here? You've made this award-winning short. Obviously, you've yet to make your debut feature. What are you looking towards the future for? Uh, I'm currently working on my uh, first feature. Uh, it's also a kid's story, but a little bit older, and it takes place in LA, also based on my own experience. And I look forward to uh, development of that. Um, I'm in the middle of a lab right now for a short film, and hopefully we'll have a date that, uh, you know, it's okay to shoot. So that's something I look forward to, to go back to work, to go back on set. Uh, yeah. How how! thank you for joining us today on Shoot It Now. Good luck with continued successes with your film, The Speech. And I'll put some information about it in the show notes so people can follow up with it. All the best for your debut feature film. I'm looking forward to seeing that in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Shoot It Now with Craig Newland, your weekly podcast about all things behind the camera and in front of it. Until next time, have a great week.